Well, good evening. Welcome to church. My name's Lachlan. If we haven't met before, love to get to know you over supper or dinner later on. Uh, if I seem a bit flatter than normal tonight, it's because I have no caffeine in my veins. I haven't been drinking coffee for seven days now. So we'll get through tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad someone's happy about that. Um, I'm not feeling too happy myself, but we'll get there. Uh, we're going to start off tonight with a phrase that I think will be familiar to most, if not all of us. A phrase that I'm sure you've heard yourself. You might have even used this to counsel a friend before, quoted this to a friend of yours. It's a phrase that says, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Familiar with that phrase? Many of us grew up hearing this, and it has its place. It does have its truth to it. Uh, Sticks and stones will break bones, that is true. And words, well, will they hurt me? While it's got its place and its truth, and we'll come back to that later on tonight, I want to recognise at the outset that this statement is patently false. Words do cause pain, don't they? Words can cause quite lasting pain. There is power in words. As we come tonight to God's Word, we're going to be looking at God's wisdom on words. And Proverbs 18 verse 21 puts it this way, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Life and death in the power of the tongue. That's true, isn't it? Life and death here, we're not talking about that binary reality of either I'm alive or I'm dead. This is viewing life and death on a spectrum. Vitality, we might call it. Energy, liveliness. Words can build you up. They can energize you. Words can motivate you to do things that are beyond what you thought was possible for yourself. That's why we love the great speechwriters of history. You might not be there yet, but you know, my dad getting a bit on in his years, he loves reading books of speeches and seeing some of these great speeches of history that mobilized nations, got people doing things together, united people together, because words have power. Now, other words, though, can cut the feet right out from under you. They can take away any motivation you had. They can deflate you. Words stir up arguments, hatred, ignorance. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. When we get to James in the New Testament, he puts it in even starker terms. The tongue is a fire, says James. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. That's pretty sharp, isn't it? But I'm sure you know the truth that he's speaking of there. I'm sure you've been on the receiving end of hurtful words before. Lies spoken about you, gossip told behind your back, angry words shouted at you. And I'm sure as well that you've dished out some words before that you wish you could just take back. As soon as they're out of your mouth, you're like, where did that come from? Can I just suck those back in? We've all gotten ourselves into trouble with our words. And sometimes that's in person, sometimes it's online. My hope and prayer is that tonight, as we hear God's wisdom on the use of our words, we'd have transformed hearts so that we speak life, not death. I'm going to pray that for us now. Let's pray. 
Father, as we come before you tonight, we praise you as the God who is all wise. You know all things, you've created all things. Help us to be humble tonight as we come to your word, to not think that we know better than you. To not think that in our limited knowledge we've come up with a better understanding of your world than you know. And so help us tonight to trust you. Please give us your wisdom. We ask that with confidence. You've promised to give wisdom to those who ask. So please tonight make us wise people. Help us to be a people who wield our words wisely, bringing life rather than death with the tongues that you have given us. We ask this for your glory and for our joy. Amen. Well, no one likes to be a fool. I hope you don't like to be a fool. It's not a good thing to be. Fools do things that they regret. The fool acts and then has to face the unpleasant consequences for their actions. And so often those are consequences that could have been so easily avoided. That's what makes them foolish. Like if you'd just seen ahead, you could have seen that this would happen. You fool. The good news is that no one has to be a fool. That's the point of Proverbs. A whole book in the Bible, I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with the book of Proverbs, well worth reading slowly and pondering across. A whole book of Proverbs is about dealing out wisdom for those who would just hear it and apply themselves to understanding. So Proverbs 1 verse 20, hopefully you've still got your Bibles open there where Ben read for us. If you're in the outlines, you're under the second heading, wisdom calls out the first Words of Proverbs 1 verse 20. Wisdom calls out in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. She cries out above the commotion. She speaks at the entrance of the city gates. How long, foolish ones, will you love ignorance? How long will you mockers enjoy mocking and you fools hate knowledge? If you respond to my warning, then I will pour out my spirit on you and teach you my words. So wisdom here is not hiding in some corner of darkness, hard to find. Wisdom's out there in the public square, calling out, wanting people to find her, wanting people to become wise. Wisdom wants to be known, if we would just turn and listen. And you notice in these verses, the blockage to wisdom, it's not mental capacity. It's not that the fool lacks the intelligence to somehow become wise. No, the blockage is a moral one, isn't it? The fool loves their ignorance. The scoffer enjoys their scoffing. It's not about how intelligent you are, it's about how willing you are to humbly learn from others. In particular, it's about how willing you are to humbly learn from God. Back in verse 7 of chapter 1, if you cast your eyes just up on the page, we read, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. If you want to be a wise person, you have to start with fearing God. You have to be godly to be wise, because the only wisdom by which we can handle everyday matters is the wisdom of the God who created everything. The God who made you and everything around you in this world. Now, that's the same God who's sustaining everything and moving this whole creation towards His desired end. He knows what's happening in this world and so he is the one to learn wisdom from. To not fear God, it's kind of like a character in a picture book, shaking their puny little fist at the illustrator as they try to step out from the book that they're a character in. They're foolish. 
It doesn't work like that. They've been given a part in the story and that's the part that we have in this creation, created by God as He moves creation towards His desired end. So the first step of wisdom is to recognise that about yourself, to recognise that you've been created, that you created being and to develop a healthy submission to the God who made you. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, welcome, we love that you're here checking things out. I actually think as we work through Proverbs tonight on words, you'll, you'll find what you hear to be desirable. I think you'll like what you hear. Because God's wisdom makes sense. It actually fits with the grain of the universe that we live in. God's not out to spoil your fun. I don't know if you've got that perception about God. He actually wants to give you true life. Life lived with God's wisdom will be the best life that you can have doesn't mean it's going to be roses and sunshine all the time, but it will fit with the grain of the universe. So listen in and see if you like what you're hearing. And whether you're here tonight and you're quite inexperienced in the world or you think you're actually rather wise, all of us have wisdom to learn tonight. If you don't think you have anything to learn, you've become wise in your own eyes and that itself is foolish. So I hope as you come to God's Word tonight, you'll open yourself up to the Lord's discipline. Learn from His Word, see if there aren't things that you need to repent of this evening. Let's turn to consider what God has to say about our words, how life and death is in the tongue. So what kind of words bring death? What are these death words, harmful words? I'm going to say there's so much in Proverbs. I've spent the last two weeks wrestling across about 120 different sayings related to words and speech and the tongue. And we're not going to cover them all tonight because no one's ever asked for church to be four hours long, so I trust you didn't want it to be that length. Uh, But I'm just going to pick up four categories of harmful words, many more that we could cover. But as we work through these four categories, I want you to consider, have you spoken these kinds of words before? Do you recognise the wisdom that these kinds of words are harmful? Harmful to yourself, harmful to others, harmful to the communities that you're part of? Have those questions in mind as we work through these harmful words. The first one, and really this could be an overarching category covering all the harmful words that Proverbs will speak to, the first category is lies. See, lies are more than just fabrications and stories. Lies are words that don't represent the truth. Proverbs uses a variety of language to describe words that are twisted or turned or deviated. They're not hitting the mark. They're words that don't match up with reality, words that intentionally don't match up with reality. Words spoken by someone who knows what is true, but chooses to speak something different. So have a listen to Proverbs 6, verse 16 to 19. And I should say as we start out here, normally at this point I'd be encouraging you to look at your Bibles, to be checking that what I'm saying is what God is saying in His Word. Uh, Tonight, if you're going to do that, you'll be flicking a lot. So you're welcome to do that. We're going to jump through a lot of Proverbs, so I recommend instead just following them along on the screen, writing down the references and chasing them up through the week. It'd be good to continue to ponder the Proverbs that we look at. But have a a look now at Proverbs 6, verse 16 to 19. The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven things are detestable to Him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. 
Now, that would be worth pondering for some time, wouldn't it? A great list there of seven things that the Lord hates. Notice, though, that lying gets repeated twice there. The Lord hates a lying tongue. The Lord detests the lying witness who gives false testimony. I wonder, how often do you think you've lied this past week? We lie all the time. We embellish stories to make ourselves look better than we actually are. We leave bits out of stories that would make us look worse than we think we are. We put status updates on social media, presenting perhaps a facade that's not really the reality of who we are. We lie about others to push ourselves above them. All sorts of lies that we tell as our words don't match up with reality. And God hears all of them and He hates it. God detests every lie that we tell. Come over to Proverbs 10, verse 18. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips. Whoever spreads slander is a fool. In Proverbs 26, verse 23 to 25. Smooth lips with an evil heart are like glaze on an earthen vessel. A hateful person disguises himself with his speech and harbours deceit within. When he speaks graciously, don't believe him, for there are seven detestable things in his heart. There's some things worth pondering. This one's a challenge for us, isn't it? Often we think that we're doing the right thing to conceal our feelings of bitterness, frustration and hatred towards others. We think, look, I won't let this impact me. I'll just avoid this person that's annoyed me. I'll just... Keep them out of my life. Of course, we don't tell them why we're avoiding them. No, no, we can't do that. We don't tell them, we don't, we don't help them understand what they've done to annoy us and frustrate us. Instead, we bottle it up. If we see the person, we speak politely to them as if nothing's wrong. We put that glaze over the earthen vessel. But underneath is the deceit, underneath are the detestable things that we're thinking. We'll walk away from the conversation when we've covered over it with politeness and we'll, we'll just bottle it up again. We'll try to deal with it. Sometimes it does go away, but other times that frustration grows, doesn't it? And it turns into slander. See the connection that 10 verse 18 makes between lying and slander? See, slander is when you then talk about the person who has offended you behind their back. You tell others to watch out for them. You, you cause others to doubt and mistreat this person with the story that you tell. And you often make the story worse to cast this person in the worst possible light as you can. Friends, don't participate in this foolishness. Jesus will tell us that hatred in itself is wrong. So if you get to the point where you're hating someone, you've got more to work out there. You've got to work towards reconciliation. If Jesus loved someone so much that he died for them, what right do you have to hate them? But when frustrations and offences come, and we're not quite at that point of hatred, we think we might just be able to deal with it. Well, no, concealing the hurt won't actually help. Wisdom would say, go to the person. Not in the heat of the moment when your blood is pumping and, and your heart rate is just racing. But when your heart's returned to its natural rate, go to them and let them know that they've hurt you. Let them know what you're feeling towards them and work towards reconciliation. That is the wise thing to do. And if you hear a story that sounds like a bit of casual slander, perhaps you're among church and you're hearing some stories going around, someone expressing frustration to you about another person, 
Well, it's great to always ask in that situation, oh, have, have you spoken to them about that yet? Why are you triangulating me into this situation? Why do I need to know what's happened here? Go and take that up with them. Life's too short to have these offences and rifts between people. Go and seek reconciliation. And still on this theme of lies, come to Proverbs 19 verse 1. Better a poor person who lives with integrity than someone who has deceitful lips and is a fool. Often throughout Proverbs, you'll find these comparisons helping us to know what's better than something else. This one's very striking. as It says that poverty is preferable to falsehood. Let your words say what you mean. And we struggle with this in all sorts of ways. We look to get ahead in life with our falsehoods. We, we want to be polite, but watch out for that politeness becoming dishonesty. If you're being polite about a person, then you're going and laughing about them behind their back. That's foolish. Or perhaps in the workplace, this is a proverb that has a particular place. In the workplace, we want to get ahead so that we don't stay poor, but we earn the bigger bucks so that we can provide for ourselves, provide for our families. And that might lead us to telling lies. Small lies to get ourselves ahead, big lies because of the company that we're working in. God would say you're better off staying poor. The lies will catch up with you in the end. Lying is harmful speech. Any speech that doesn't represent reality, foolish. Now we'll move through the other three kinds of harmful speech a bit quicker. The second kind is gossip. So Proverbs 20 verse 19, the one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid someone with a big mouth. Nice simple one, right? Surface level, we get what that says. In Proverbs 26, verse 22, a gossip's words are like choice food that goes down to one's innermost being. So communities, relationships, they're built on trust and gossip is a great way to undercut trust quickly. If someone has told you something in confidence, keep that confidence and avoid the people who can't keep secrets. I know there's a time when it's fun to have that friend who sucks at keeping secrets. You laugh with them about it. You know that it's just not their strength. That's funny for a time. Largely, I think it's fun because gossip is tasty. That's Proverbs 26, right? Gossip is juicy. It's like that piece of oily pizza that just slides straight down the esophagus. You love it. You go, it's so easy to eat. It's tasty. Gossip is like that. It doesn't make it good but Proverbs knows the reality. And so we, we laugh with the person that can't keep a secret, but they don't make a good friend for long. Be wise. They'll hurt you at some stage by revealing something that you really didn't want revealed. Don't be that gossip yourself. And don't promote gossip by listening to it. The third kind of harmful speech, and we touched on this earlier in lying, but the third kind is slander. So Proverbs 24, verse 28 to 29. Don't testify against your neighbour without cause. Don't deceive with your lips. Don't say, I'll do to him what he did to me. I'll repay the man for what he has done. This is a great way to cause divisions and quarrels and to break up communities. Just start making up stories about people. Make assumptions about things from people's past because of something that you might have seen or 
something that you've heard and you start to read between the lines and you just start spreading the story. Great way to break up a community. And notice how Proverbs knows us here. Verse 29, sometimes we can fall into slander as repayment, as a form of vengeance. You know, they started a story about me, so I'll start one about them. They did something to me that I didn't like, so I'll get back at them by starting a rumour. That is utter foolishness. It will come back to bite you and it will cause great harm to people. It will tear apart communities. Stay clear of slander. Now, we could talk about the harmfulness of flattery, the harmfulness of seduction, of boasting, of quarrelsome words, all sorts of things that the Proverbs would warn us against as foolish talk. But the fourth and final kind of harmful word I want to draw to our attention tonight is that of joking. This next proverb has to be one of my favourites. I remember first reading it and laughing out loud. Proverbs 26, verse 18 to 19. Like a madman who throws flaming darts and deadly arrows, so is the man who deceives his neighbour and says, I was only joking. There you go, bit of laughter. You get the picture, right? You don't want to be friends with the person who is just maniacally like throwing darts around and not knowing where they're going, just, oh, sometimes they hit a near miss, sometimes they hit you in the flesh. You don't want to be friends with that person. Uh, there's a scene in a movie called Garden State. I don't recommend watching it, it's got some bad stuff in it. But in Garden State, there's a scene where uh, there's a guy who fires a flaming arrow up into the air and they're all just kind of looking up, moving around, hoping it doesn't hit them. They're foolish, mad, maniacal. You don't do that stuff. But that's what the Proverbs is saying, is the person who just deceives their neighbour and says, I was only joking, whose sense of humour is biting and seems to cause pain and then they try to cover it over and go, no, no, it's a joke, it's a joke. Is that you? Are you the kind of person who often gets yourself into trouble because of your humour? Have you hurt people because of your jokes? I think I like this proverb because it's one I need to hear and remember often. I have a tendency towards sarcasm, find it very funny, and I've hurt people in the past because of it. It's easy to play the blame game and to say, no, no, it's their fault, they just need a better sense of humour. They just need to understand that I was joking. But we can't just pass the blame, the blame rests squarely on me. I said the words, it's my fault for hurting them. Because people are different. And to rush around joking all the time... It is just as risky as throwing flaming darts all over the place. You're going to hit someone sometime. Sometimes jokes can build trust as you laugh together. You've got to recognise that there is a place for humour. But other times, jokes cause pain. And generally over time, the jokes move from laughter to pain as someone takes things up one step too far. So if this is you, if you're the person who's causing pain by your jokes, hear the wisdom of Proverbs. Watch your words. And perhaps you hear yourself in some of those other kinds of harmful speech, the lying, the gossiping, the slandering. Or perhaps your tendency is more towards the harmful speech of angry name-calling, of shouting abuse. Words have the power of death. All these kinds of words can cut the feet right out from under people, causing them to retreat into isolation, taking away their motivation to live. Words that can devastate communities, fracturing relationships, breaking trust. Don't be a fool. Avoid all these kinds of speech. 
we've covered the negative side of the harmful words, things to avoid, but Proverbs doesn't just stop there. It helps us know what to replace those words with. What are the helpful words that we should be speaking? What are the words that bring life? Well, just as most of the deadly words could be summed up under lying, the first thing that Proverbs shows us about helpful words is that they've got to be honest words, truthful words. Proverbs 12 verse 19 assures us, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only a moment. There is a reason that wisdom comes with age. Uh, It's because age puts lots of things into perspective. That's what this proverb's picking up on. You know how as you get older, I know not many of you have gotten too much older yet, but you know, time will come, and I'm sure you're already experiencing this. As you get older, the years seem to get shorter. You're like, is it really already September? Like Christmas just around the corner? Where did this year go? Time moves quicker because the year becomes a smaller proportion of the life that you've lived so far. With age comes perspective as you see more of life go past. So the inexperienced person may see the the short-term benefit that comes from telling a lie. But the person that's lived a bit longer, the older and wiser person, has seen liars come and go. Has seen lies be found out and lives ruined. The older, wiser person has seen that in the long run, only honesty truly benefits you. The lying tongue won't last. Uh, if you've been telling lies, I'm sure there's an element of you that, that lives in fear all the time of being found out. Man, there's a great freedom when you speak honestly and you don't have to fear that anymore. You don't have to fear people finding out who the real you is because you've just presented that up front. Honesty is liberating and truthful lips will endure forever. Or consider another proverb, uh, 24 verse 26. This is another one of my favourites. He who gives an honest answer gives a kiss on the lips. If you haven't experienced a kiss on the lips yet, they're pleasant. They're a nice thing. That's the point of this proverb. Honesty is pleasant. It builds trust. It, it shows a transparency, a vulnerability, all of which builds relationships. To speak honestly is pleasant to the person that you speak to. Again, Proverbs 28, verse 23. One who rebukes a person will later find more favor than one who flatters with his tongue. Have you ever gotten home from work or home from doing the shopping and you've looked in the mirror and you've got a big bit of green spinach covering your whole front tooth? And you're like, but I saw friends today. They didn't tell me anything. Jerks. Like, why would they not tell me that I had this big bit of food stuck in my teeth? How much more so when people flatter you and don't pull you up on some character fault? This proverb here picks up that reality that we actually like being rebuked. The truth is helpful. We want to be told that there's food in our teeth. We want to be told if we're making a fool of ourselves. We want to know if we've got some glaring character fault that we can't see. Flattery, useless. It's not going to help. Helpful words are honest words, even when that honesty might be a rebuke. There's a difference between a positive rebuke and an angry rebuke. The positive rebuke is aimed towards helping the person that you rebuke. It's not about you feeling better uh, about yourself because you don't struggle in that area. It's not about you taking out your anger by showing the person in one sitting all the things that are wrong with them. That's the angry rebuke. The positive rebuke is aimed in love towards helping this person see the bit of spinach in their tooth. Be that kind of friend. 
So I think we have to put alongside truthful a second kind of characteristic of these helpful words. They're, they're truthful, but they're also loving. Proverbs 12, verse 25. Anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. And Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. There are some good things to aim at with your words, aren't they? To turn away anger, to cheer up anxious hearts. These are words that come with love, that are seeking the good of the other person rather than your own good. In order for our words to hit these aims, they've got to be truthful, they've got to be loving. A third aspect we have to put to our helpful words, they need to be timely words. I'm going to put three Proverbs before you all at once. They're all related and they're worth serious reflection for us. Proverbs 10, verse 19. When there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is prudent. 15, verse 28. The mind of the righteous person thinks before answering. But the mouth of the wicked blurts out evil things. 18 verse 13, the one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and disgrace for him. Are you the kind of person who speaks many words, who can't handle the silence and you just have to fill it? Are you the kind of person who loves to hear the sound of your own voice? If that's you, then sin is unavoidable for you. The more words you speak, the more opportunity you will have to speak hurtful words. If you're the kind of person who struggles to listen, do you think you're an expert in every field? You know the kind of person, right? Whatever you're talking to them about, they've got something to say. They know more than you about that topic. If you don't know that kind of person, then it probably means you are that person yourself. <laughs> you haven't given others time to speak in conversations because you just have to speak over the top of them and help them understand your great knowledge about this. To speak before listening, that's foolishness and disgrace. One of my teachers, he was a trained social worker before he became a pastor. He used to say that if he had an hour with a person, kind of a regular time slot for pastors to meet with people, you'd often have hour-long meetings with people. He would say if he had an hour with a person, he wants to listen for 55 minutes. So in the five minutes that he says something, it's hitting the mark. That he's understood what the person is actually struggling with. That his words can actually be helpful. If you want to speak helpful rather than hurtful words, become a good listener. It is a skill that you can develop. Maybe try it over dinner tonight. See how many questions you can ask with genuine interest in the other person before you have to speak too much. If everyone's doing that, dinner might be a bit awkward, you know, just question after, but I'm sure we'll figure it out. (laughs) Try to be a good listener. And as you listen, don't just be waiting for your next opportunity to speak. That's how some people treat conversations, you know? They're just waiting for the silence because they know, all right, now I can talk again. They haven't actually been listening to what the other person's saying, engaging with it and and moving the conversation forward. Don't be that person. Listen. Take an interest in the people that you're speaking with. Helpful words are timely words, words that are spoken from understanding and thoughtful reflection, words that have passed through a filter between the brain and the mouth. Words that have been weighed and considered and aimed at loving a person with the truth. Truthful, loving, timely. We could almost sum up Proverbs on words 
uh, with a phrase from Dr. Zeus. You know, there is some wisdom in Dr. Zeus. So I think he stole it from Alice in Wonderland, though. Say what you mean, mean what you say. And I think I'd add to that from what we've just seen about timely words. Say what you mean, mean what you say, and don't say too much. Don't say everything that you think you need to say. The power of life and death is in the tongue. I want to say briefly, though, that there is a limit to the power of words. I told you we'd come back to that phrase at the start about sticks and stones. There is a weakness to words. So consider Proverbs 17, verse 4. A wicked person listens to malicious talk. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. See, words can't actually compel a response. When we hear death words, when we hear malicious talk or destructive language, we choose how to respond. The most spicy gossip has power over the listener only insofar as they themselves are an evildoer whose taste for death overpowers their love for the truth. What do you do when you hear malicious talk? Do you rebuke the speaker or do you pay attention and promote the kind of talk that's going on? See, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You can make that choice. That's why that phrase has become popular. We try to teach kids that while you might hear hurtful things said against you, if you know the truth about yourself, if your head and your heart is filled with knowledge of the truth, then those words can bounce right off. We can push on through gossip and slander because we know that the falsehood will be found out in the end. We know that if no one else, God knows what is true and He will vindicate us. So there is power in the tongue, but words can't alter facts. They can threaten to, but if we have our heads and our hearts filled with the knowledge of the truth, we'll survive. So what are we going to do with all this? We've heard lots about harmful words and about helpful words. And I hope at this point you want to be wise with your words. I hope you're not sitting there going, great, I'm ready to be more foolish this week. Let's spout out these hurtful words as much as I can. I hope you want to speak words of life more than words of death. So how do we do that? Well, it actually comes down to your heart. The connection between your heart and your lips. Proverbs 16 verse 23 says, The heart of a wise person instructs his mouth. It adds learning to his speech. Or Jesus himself in Matthew 12 verse 34 He's rebuking the Pharisees here who've been trying to trap him, trying to find a way to kill him. He rebukes them saying, brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Now, words don't come out of nowhere. They don't come from a vacuum. They come from our heart. A critical heart will lead to a critical tongue. A self-righteous heart will produce a judgmental tongue. A bitter heart will lead to a sharp tongue. An ungrateful heart will lead to a grumbling tongue. But if your heart's loving, then you'll have a gracious tongue. A faithful heart will produce a truthful tongue. A peaceful heart, a reconciling tongue. A trusting heart produces an encouraging tongue. The question is, what's in your heart? If you fill your heart by soaking in the Scriptures, meditating on the Gospel, if 
your heart is full of grace, then it will overflow with words of life. Tonight, as we consider this, I can imagine most, if not all of us, have something to repent of in the area of our words. The good news is that Jesus has taken the punishment for your foolishness. He's taken the punishment for the hurt that you have caused to others with your words. In His death on the cross, that punishment has been wiped away. So tonight, repent. Turn from that use of your words. Recognize that it's sinful. Recognize that it's foolish and turn towards wisdom. Ask God for forgiveness and God is faithful and just to forgive our sin. But you may also need to ask forgiveness from someone else in the congregation. I've been praying that tonight, God would put at least one person, if not more, on your heart who you've said something to that caused some kind of pain, some strife, some division, some disunity. You you may have told them lies. You may have gossiped one of their secrets. You may have talked about them behind their back, slandered them. You may have talked over the top of them rather than listened to them. I hope that someone or some people come to mind as you think about the use of your words. And the goal is not that you sit there and feel awful about yourself, but rather that you cling to grace. Your lips have been used to hurt, and now, thanks to the power of the gospel, that God can restore us and change us, you can use your lips to heal. So pursue the person, even tonight, over supper, over dinner. Go to them and tell them you're under conviction that you've been misusing your words, that you've hurt them with your words, and apologize for hurting them. Do it tonight. Ask for forgiveness. I can't promise that they'll forgive you, But I can promise that walking in obedience and repentance, walking in wisdom, will bring about a greater good than continuing in regret or just trying to wash out your mouth with soap. I had to do that once in year one. It tasted horrible. It doesn't actually do anything though. It doesn't change the heart. But once you can admit that you're wrong, once you're humble and you can go to a person and apologize, we're all going to keep making uh, foolish things with our mouths. We're going to keep speaking in foolishness. I want to grow in wisdom, but it's a journey. It'll take time. The key is that when you speak those hurtful words, own it. Apologize for it. Seek reconciliation so that we can be a community that trusts one another. So we can be a community where truthful words are spoken, where gossip doesn't happen, where slander doesn't happen. That's the kind of community that we want to be. There's someone you need to apologize to tonight. We've all got room to grow in the use of our words. There's a great promise in Scripture that if we are lacking wisdom, we can ask God and He will give it. He promises that one. So we can ask with confidence. Ask Him to change your heart, to take out the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. As you wait for that prayer to be answered, as you wait to grow in the use of your words, Proverbs has got some final wisdom for us. 30 verse 32. If you've been foolish by exalting yourself, or if you've been scheming, put your hand over your mouth. Nice and simple. Don't let past foolishness be an excuse for future foolishness. Just stop talking. Bite your tongue. Speak less. Post on Facebook less. Think more and listen more. If you want to say something, speak God's words. And this is where I'll finish. In John 6, verse 68. A number of people have been following Jesus at this point. They, they turn away from following him. They've heard some of the things that he's saying and they felt offended. They don't like the things that he's teaching. They think he's teaching false things. 
But at this point, as all these people are turning away from him, Jesus turns to the 12 disciples, his close friends, and he says, do you want to leave me as well? And Simon Peter responds that Jesus and Jesus alone has words of eternal life. Where else do we have to go? Jesus' words are the ultimate words of life. As we read on in John, we find some of those words. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The gospel is the ultimate word of life. A word that doesn't just bring vitality and energy and motivation, but a word that brings a life that lasts forever. Eternity with God. The word of the gospel is the ultimate word to be speaking that will help us get through life in all its struggles when our energy is lacking. So if you want to speak words of life, speak the gospel. And let the gospel change your heart because the gospel does humble you. It puts you on exactly the same plane as every other human on this planet, whatever their age, their race or their gender. Before the gospel, we're all sinners who need to be saved. And so as the gospel shapes your heart, that gives you a heart of grace to speak words of life rather than words of death. So I'm going to pray for us now that this would be what we like as a community. And I hope this will be your prayer as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're honest with us. Thank you that you're not like the friend that leaves us with spinach in our teeth, but you, you tell us what we like. You tell us the truth and you hold that mirror up so that we can see ourselves and we can see our foolishness. I pray that you've done that tonight for each and every person that's here. As we've wrestled with your word in Proverbs, you've, you've revealed to their hearts something that they have been walking in foolishness, a way of using their words that has been wrong and sinful and that needs to stop. Please, would you have revealed to people, or even now be bringing to mind that person that they've hurt with their words, that they need to go to and apologize. Please do grow us to be a community of complete honesty, of transparency. We're not trying to pretend with one another. I mean, you've been honest with us. You know all our flaws. You know all our failings. We don't need to pretend with one another. So please make us that community. Get away from us any gossip, any slander, any malicious talk, any joking that is hurting people. Help us not to make excuses for ourselves in those areas. And help us instead to speak truthful words, loving words, timely words, to be good listeners, that this might be a community where everyone feels welcome. Because you, by your grace, have made everyone welcome. There's no one that's excluded from hearing the gospel and being saved. So help us to be a community that reflects that with truth. We ask this for your glory and for our joy. Amen.
you and your people. We ask that tonight we would see so clearly where you are taking your world. And people are coming to treat Jesus as their king, to trust him as their saviour, to allow him to serve us as he has done. We pray that you would help us to repent of all the false motives we have for serving. You'd show us where we're doing it for our own popularity. You'd show us where we're doing it to try and buy attention from you or buy position from you or to pay you back in some way. We confess how pitiful that is when we recognize how much you've given us. We are sorry for the times we don't treat you as we ought. And we are so amazed at the way you treat us even though we have rejected you. So we pray tonight as we reflect over these last five weeks of hearing from your word, of who we are, that you would shape us into the likeness of your son. You would send us out into your world as missionaries. You would help us to glorify you with all that we have. You'd help us to love and care for one another as we serve with the gifts you've given us. Tonight we pray you'd capture us by your son again and you'd send us into your world for your glory and for your purpose, we pray. Amen. We're going to celebrate together that reality of who we are in Jesus by doing, uh, sharing together what we call the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is just a, a reminder of grape juice and bread uh, that really reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us and his blood that was poured out for us. So if you trust in Jesus, or if tonight you're like, I want in, I want to trust Jesus, then why don't you take some bread and some grape juice as it gets passed around. Just hold on to it. Don't drink it yet. Uh, we're going to sing a song together, reminding us of what Jesus has done and the privilege we have to call God our Father, to reflect on what He has done. Hold on to it. Then after we've sung this song, I'll we'll, we'll, we'll come back and we'll eat and drink together, uh, and then we'll keep singing. Why don't you stand and remind one another as you sing loudly of the joy that it is to call God our Father.